following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We wear black today. It's a sad day. <clears throat> and though we might mourn the end of a good season, actually an end of a lousy season, we can celebrate uh, what the Lord has done for us, regardless of what we choose to entertain ourselves with. <clears throat> well, we re- are returning to the Gospel of Mark this morning uh, with chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, which is page 838 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um, we... Um, The next few chapters of the Gospel of Mark record a period of great popularity in Jesus' ministry. Um, He's still working in Galilee, um, around the north end of the Sea of Galilee. But we'll see, as we see in our text this morning, he's left the synagogue behind. Um, It's um, no longer his main stage for, for ministry. And we also will see a huge shift in his ministry strategy uh, starting in our text today. So let's look at our text, and we'll jump right in. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain And called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names Boenerges, that is... (laughs) said with confidence, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so thankful that these accounts were recorded so that we might learn more about you how to follow you more closely. Lord, we pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the message that you have for us in your word here this morning. We pray that um, you would settle our hearts, that we could focus on you, focus on your word. May we hear your voice this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Boenerges. I practice it at home, but I forgot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, so um, 
here we have um, the first few verses we look at here, kind of a summary statement of what's going on, uh, where things stood in Jesus' ministry at this point. Um, and uh, like I said, he's left the synagogue behind. He's too popular for the synagogue. The buildings were not big enough to hold all the people uh, trying to get to him. Uh, now, I have a map that I want to put up on the thing. Oh, that's a lousy picture. Well, we're going to do the best we can. Now, I don't want you to feel like this is a geography class or anything, but I want to help just to kind of fill out the picture of what we're, what we're talking about and just how far-reaching Jesus' popularity had become. So in the map, the fuzzy blob in the middle that looks star-like, um, that's Capernaum, right? We've been talking about Capernaum. You can see right below that is a blue blob. That's the Sea of Galilee, um, kind of just a big lake. Make uh, Winnipesaukee-sized lake. Okay, um, so that's where Jesus was. And north of there, along the coast, the very top one, um, you can see um, is Tyre and Sidon. Just um, I can't tell from the blobs which one is which. I'm sorry. Um, Tyre and Sidon. You should have a map in the back of your Bible, right? It look very much like this. It can show Jesus' ministry. And Sidon is the one at the top. Okay, thank you. So Sidon and Tyre. And just below Capernaum to the east, there's an arrow. That's the land beyond the Jordan. You can't see the line very good, but there's a Jordan River going right between those two lakes. Um, further south is Jerusalem. Uh, and then all the way south, um, southwest of there is Idumea. And you remember from your Old Testament reading, that's Edom, the land of Edom. Okay. Mind blown, right? Well, I want to show this because um, that furthest arrow, Sidon, the furthest north, is about 50 miles from Capernaum, right, from the star in the middle. And the arrow further south Idomia is about 100 miles, and that's just as the crow flies, and you can measure that in the map in the back of your Bible. Uh, you think a 50, 100 miles, not a bad ride by car. Uh, it's about here to Boston, right? And lots of people have to travel that far to get to uh, medical care, um, to get their needs met. Nowadays, hop in a car, you're in Boston two hours, right, maybe, well, that wasn't really the case in the first century. In case you uh, did not know, they had not invented cars yet. Um, and so 100 miles, to get, to get to 100 miles, that's not an afternoon. Uh, that's a month. That's a long, your, your, it's like walking from here to Boston. That'd take a while, right? And you can't walk on the highway, right? 93. Oh, and you can't walk on the Sabbath. Even better, right? <laughs> Talk about slowing you down, right? So, I, I this kind of feel like trivia, right? But this is the widespread influence that Jesus' ministry had then. You talk about the impact Jesus' ministry has now and the millions, maybe billions of people who have um, come to faith in Christ over the millennia. Um, this is just 
in the first year of Jesus' public ministry, and the word had to reach uh, hundreds of miles um, to people uh, who are looking or desperate for help. So you can't imagine that if Jesus' influence, or at least word of what he had been doing, had reached that far, maybe our flannel graph pictures of the crowds don't do the crowds justice. No one you remember flannel graph is like eight guys, you know, and they move the eight. Here's the crowd, all eight of them. That's not that's not the crowds. That's that's not even close. Um, we're we're talking about tens of thousands of people coming to see Jesus, right? Do you remember the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand? That's the men. They recorded the men. They didn't count the ladies. They didn't count the children. Feeding of five thousand, not it's not five thousand. It's oh, tens of thousands of people were fed. Now, I think, again, I'm, I feel like we're just doing trivial pursuit. But it seems to me that if Jesus was following um, following the goals of, of uh, popular church growth strategies today, he'd be killing it, right? Write a book about how he did this and make the church grow. Right, look how popular he was. Think of all the people that he was reaching. Think about all that they, all those people could accomplish for the kingdom. I bet they even had a full-colored bulletin. Whew. Right? They'd reached the pinnacle of success in ministry. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus does not measure successful ministry in this way. He doesn't look at it the same way that uh, the church tends to nowadays. And... Popularity is always accompanied by problems. Um, I've heard many ministers, and I've said it myself, that ministry would be easy if it weren't for all the people. And that is just as true for Jesus' ministry as it is for ministry today. Now, if you look at the second half of verse 8, you can see in large part the crowds were there because they heard what Jesus had been doing, right? What Jesus had been doing. And what is it that Jesus has been doing? It doesn't say that they came because they heard all the things that Jesus was saying, but see, the, they heard of the things he was doing. And what was he doing? Healing people. Healing people. <laughs> It was health care for all, right? So that's what all of these people were after. These people that were coming hundreds of miles on foot, limping or dragging their, you know, carrying their sick relatives to Jesus because they wanted healing. They wanted their physical problems solved. These people, for the most part, we don't know their hearts, obviously, um, we only see evidence of how they stuck around uh, and who was there after. Um, we can see evidence that these folks were not after Jesus' purpose. They're just after his power. Now, that's a problem. These folks wanted the healing of their bodies. And Jesus' purpose was not the healing of their bodies, but the healing of the spirit. 
healing of souls. They didn't understand that Jesus healed their bodies to prove that he could, in fact, heal their spirits. And it's not at all uncommon for people to come to Jesus for healing for their situations first. Just, I've known a lot of people, broken marriages, decide they have to come back to church in order to get right with God so then they can fix their marriage. God will take care of it. Maybe. There's no guarantee of that. Just want to get things back in order. Lots of people try to come to Jesus to solve what they perceive to be their main problem when it isn't their main problem at all. (laughs) I take a breath. The problem isn't with the problem. The problem isn't what you perceive your main problem to be. The problem comes when Jesus doesn't solve your problem because he wants to solve your real problem, but you don't stick around to have your problem solved because Jesus didn't fix your problem to begin with. That can be very problematic. Jesus didn't fix what you thought your real problem was, and so you don't stick around so he can fix what your real problem really is. You might write that down. That's a bumper sticker. Welcome to Crossroads Church. Your problem isn't really your problem. Your problem is you don't know what your real problem really is, and that's a problem. Right? Yeah. Do we have enough R's and O's for that? I'm not sure. The desire for healing is what drew the crowds to Christ. The healing of their bodies. That's all they wanted. But the healing of the soul was Jesus' purpose. And he used the healing of their bodies as an opportunity to introduce real healing. The healing of the soul. And that's how God uses problems. Right? We've been talking about this over and over again. Why don't you solve my problem? Well, it's because your problem is to drive you to the solution to your real problem. So let go of it and let the Lord solve your real problem. So when the crowds grew too large for Jesus' stage for ministry, uh, you can't use a synagogue anymore. They weren't as big as this building is, and you can't fit 10,000 people in here. We proved you can't really get more than 100 people in here. So he went to a boat, which is a natural jump. I can't fit all the people in a synagogue anymore. Let's get a boat. Thank you for laughing. (laughs) You're trying not to because nobody else is. Verse 9, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. He got in a boat, obviously. Ministry is too stressful. He had to go fishing, right? Well, no. I think this is uh, one of the wonderful blessings of being able to go to the Holy Land, not just so that you look at a map and know where cities are, but I have a picture in my mind of what the Sea of Galilee looks like and what the shoreline is like. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea share... Uh, um, topography and the lake is at the bottom of a hole right it's hills all around the lake and that's where the water goes the sea of galilee is fresh and the dead sea is salty because the sea of galilee has inlets and outlets 
Jordan River starts at the Sea of Galilee, flows down to the Dead Sea, and stops. So Sea of Galilee, fresh, beautiful lake, but the sides of it are all hills. So when Jesus stands in a boat just off the shore, and the people are all standing on a hill, that's a natural amphitheater. Right? So when you stand in a boat, it's not just get away from these people. He still wants to teach them. He just didn't want to get killed while doing it. They're going to crush him. They just want to touch him. But he wants to touch them in his spirit, not so much uh, physically. So this, um, this was a practical uh, move for Jesus in order to be able to teach them. And it, it did serve as an easy way to put a little distance between him and the crowd when the time came. Uh, let's go over to the other side. Jesus said many times, they're already in the boat. Just lift the sail. We're out of here. And they go to the other side of the lake. So Mark now shifts his focus onto the types of representatives that he wanted and the types that he didn't want. We've just been doing the summary here. But we talk about calling, um, calling out the demons and calling the 12 apostles. The first kind of representative that he didn't want is demons, which shouldn't come as a surprise. And verse 11 says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. That's interesting, I think. Jesus didn't need or want the demon's help to spread his fame. Again, fame was not Jesus' goal here. And a lot of times um, when he tells people, don't tell anyone what happened to you, and they go out and tell everybody instead, and it just makes life more difficult because more people start flocking for the wrong reasons. They flock to Jesus, and then he can't do what he was trying to do because of too many people in the way. And that's uh, here, there's a little more going on, because what do the demons say? You are the Son of God. Is that true? Yes, I'll, yes, yes. <laughs> it is true, right? What, even though what they were crying out is true, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, They didn't tell the truth in order to advance Jesus' cause. They did not cry out, you are the Son of God, because they wanted to tell everybody. They did not want uh, to help Jesus in this way. They weren't trying to advance his cause, but to hinder it. And whether their idea was to make him so popular that he couldn't ever go out in public anymore, or to associate him with the God that they worshipped, Satan, which is very possible. Either way, the demons were out to distract and divide and destroy Jesus' ministry. And they've been at it for a long time, and they still continue that work today. The demons and Satan's opportunity for repentance is gone. And the day is coming that they're going to burn in a lake of fire. They could never serve as heralds for Christ's kingdom. They could never serve as proper heralds for Christ's kingdom. Their chance is gone, right? 
But do you know who can serve as heralds of Christ's kingdom? People, right? Us. Jesus chose to use people to advance his kingdom. And Jesus continues to use people to advance his kingdom. What a wonderful blessing. Verse 13 says, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to them, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and they might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boenerges. Just say it with confidence. Uh, That means the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Maybe your Bible says uh, Simon the Canaanian. Anybody have translated that way? It's not that he's from Canaan. It's a zealot mean the same thing. Newer. Must be a newer translation. So these are the guys who came to Jesus for much more than physical healing, right? They came to him and stayed with him because he had the words of life. Now, when I think about these crowds and tens of thousands of people and the calling of the 12 apostles, I think about um, later on, after Jesus tells the crowd that unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me, and the people don't know what to do with that, and they all leave. Huge crowds of people say, uh, okay, just cross the line. We can't. We don't get it. But the 12 apostles stay, and he say, why do you stay? And they said, because you have the words of life. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. Now, there's two kinds of apostles in the New Testament. Did you know that? There's apostles with a capital A and apostles with a lowercase a. They don't, you won't see it written that way in Scripture. But this, this group is apostles with a capital A, the 12 apostles, where they were actually 13, um, because uh, after Judas killed himself, he was replaced by Matthias. This uh, capital A apostle is a closed office. There's no, you can't get into this anymore. Um, And the apostles with a small a are what we tend to call nowadays missionaries, church planters, um, church planting missionaries specifically. That is the job of an apostle with a small a. Paul and Barnabas were apostles, small a, right? Uh, Men love that. There's others mentioned in the New Testament as well. In either case, big a, small a, the word means the same one who is sent. One who is sent. Um, we won't, uh, I will try not to refer to the 12 as disciples anymore. The 12 disciples is what I typically call them, but they are now 12 apostles. They weren't before. Now they are because they were called to be sent out. Jesus was sent out these 12 apostles to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And some of them would author letters later on that became part of New Testament scripture. And every single one of them would be martyred for preaching the gospel. 
We tend to call these uh, saints, Saint Peter, Saint Matthew, Saint John, Saint Andrew, Saint Philip. And this is a correct title, but it's not reserved just for them. The scripture calls everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus a saint. You are saints. Amen? Amen. Okay. So these guys did not, uh, don't hold the office of saint as our Catholic friends teach. It's not, it's, it's not like that. Everyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. And these men did as Jesus asked and went out and shared the wonderful truth of the gospel. And they were killed for it. Peter was crucified in Rome, upside down. They were bringing him to crucify, to be crucified. And he said, I don't deserve to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. So at his request, they crucified him upside down. James was killed with a sword in Rome. John, the only one who died of old age, but he died in exile in the island of Patmos. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Philip was scourged and crucified in Turkey. Bartholomew was beaten with rods, scourged, and then beheaded in Turkey. Matthew was stabbed to death with a halberd in Ethiopia. That's like a spear with an axe. I, I don't know. It's a long stick with an axe and a pointy end. A deadly weapon. Thomas was pierced with spears in India. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death. Thaddeus was crucified in Mesopotamia. Simon the Zealot was crucified in Persia for not worshiping the sun god. Sound like a great retirement plan, doesn't it? These men displayed that the perceived problem was not the real problem. They were willing to give their life, willing to give up their comfort, willing to give up everything to help people know the truth that the real problem is sin and the real solution is faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be forgiven. If being uncomfortable is a real problem, then we have a real problem because that is not guaranteed in Scripture. Is We are promised exactly the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? Satan wants to deceive us and say, look, you, you should not be uncomfortable. You should not be having a hard time. You should be happy. You deserve it. Well, we know that's not true. What do we deserve? We deserve death for our sin. It's by God's grace that anything else is available to us. Jesus chose to use people, these people, you people. He has chosen to use people, and regardless of the cost, these men served as witnesses, not advocates. There's a huge difference in that. An advocate is like a lawyer who really doesn't have anything personal at stake except a paycheck. These men served as witnesses to what they saw and heard, what they knew. They're witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but also witnesses of lives changed by faith in Jesus Christ. And that still remains Jesus' ministry strategy. No matter how many books are written, no matter how, no matter how many different 
uh, strategies are invented by people. This is the strategy. Use people to witness as, as witnesses to testify to what they have heard and seen. Lives changed by faith in Christ. And he sends us out as apostles into this world to testify to what Jesus has done in our lives. And to testify to the changes that he can and will make in the lives of others. Johann Gosner wrote, those who would be a witness for Christ and his gospel must be much with him and by constant communion have learned to know him. I wonder how many of us think, why doesn't God use me? Why can't I have the words to say, to my friends who don't know the Lord. How can I be a witness for Christ? And we wonder these things at the same time, not really knowing him, not sharing the communion with him. If we are not much with the Lord, we are not going to be effective witnesses. You cannot testify to what you have not seen. You cannot be a witness to whom you, for whom you do not know. We can't expect effective ministry, real ministry, if we are not much with the Lord. You cannot squeeze water from a dry sponge. We need to be saturated. The 12 apostles were with the Lord much. And they learn to know him by constant communion with him. And we think they're the lucky ones, right? They got to be with the Lord Jesus face to face all the time. Do you know what they didn't have that we do? The Holy Spirit. Not just a face to face, but live inside of us by faith. I think he's maybe a neighbor we should not ignore anymore but learn to commune with him so that we can know him. We come to Jesus, when we come to Jesus for the healing of our souls and not just our situations, we get to walk with him daily through fellowship with the spirit, his word, and his church. And it's the healing of our souls, our lives changed, that like the apostles, that will be the testimony that nobody can argue with. Who can argue with a changed life? You can't. I was dead and now I am alive. And what's the difference? Faith in Jesus Christ. And now walk daily with him. Or I at least have the opportunity to walk daily with him. Let's all, those of us who know Christ, let's avail ourselves of that opportunity. Right? Let's not just leave the Holy Spirit on the shelf. He is to live inside of us. Let's not leave God's word on a shelf. The way that he has chosen to communicate his truth with us is to get dusty. Like, uh, you know, I got one on my phone. I have it all the time. Uh, okay. 
You can leave the sword in the scabbard all the time. You got it with you. But if you don't take it out, it's not of any use. God's word is the same way. We have what these men did not have, at least at the beginning, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I think that when we start to really commune with him, people will see changes are being made. But we need to let go of the old way and grab onto the new. We have the Spirit, we have the Word, we have the Church. These are the gifts God has given to us so that we can grow in communion and fellowship with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I'm not sure I made a point here this morning, but we know that Your Spirit can continue to work on us. I pray, Lord, that we would avail ourselves of the opportunity to commune and fellowship with you through the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that if anyone here does not know you and does not know the power of the Spirit at work in their life, that they would cry out to you in faith, ask for your forgiveness, and surrender their life to you. And I pray, Lord, that the prayer would be the same for those of us that have known you forever. That you'd forgive us and that we'd surrender our lives to you. Help us, Lord, to not be selfish with our testimony, but to share what you have done in our lives. May we give you permission to make the changes to make us more like Jesus, even if it costs us our lives. We love you, Lord, and we trust you with this word this morning. Continue to speak through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.